ourselves and our beliefs be shaped by divisive media, we're going to completely miss God's heart for what is going on. God sent the nations right here. Not only so we can tell them about Jesus, but we can meet them in their places of pain in the name of Jesus. That's why they're here. I love this. Therefore, love the stranger. Love the immigrant. Help them. Your view on things is pretty biased because of what or who you're listening to. But is your source reliable? If it's a news station, you're getting input from the wrong direction. Instead, Pastor Daniel encourages you today to base your moral compass from the Bible. How should you treat others? Look to the Bible. What should your conviction be about political topics? How about referring to Scripture as your number one source? Now, here's Pastor Daniel in Deuteronomy chapter 10 as he continues his message called, Remember. In the Bible, name always denotes nature. So I always say, you pick anybody's name that you want. Like if you use my name, right? When you say Daniel Fusco, you don't think, oh yeah, D-A-N-I-E-L-F-U-S-C-O and bingo was his name. You know what I mean? Like you don't do the letters. You think about the person. You think about the nature of the person. And so when it says, bless his name, it's not like, well, we bless the Lord by we say Yahweh or we say Jehovah or we say Jehovah to Sidkadu or whatever we, you know, we do. It's like, you know what I mean? We bless his name. Our lives are to the praise of the nature of God. And that should be who we are. All of us in this way, as a kingdom of priests, have a Levitical function, a function that is like the tribe of the Levites. And so it's interesting. We're reminded the Lord is their portion of their inheritance. And then it says in verse 10, it says, and as at the first time, I stayed in the mountain 40 days and 40 nights. The Lord also heard me at that time. The Lord chose not to destroy you. Then the Lord said to me, arise, begin your journey before the people that they may go in and possess the land which I swore to their fathers. Now, I think that this is important because the 40 days and 40 nights timeline is important. Because if you know your New Testament at all, isn't there another 40 days timeline? Who was 40 days in the wilderness? Jesus. Now, don't miss the overarching picture. The children of Israel were in the wilderness. In Moses' first time, 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness, but yet they succumbed to the idolatry that was in their hearts. And in a sense, Israel showed their inability to be the people of God. Jesus was tempted in the wilderness 40 days and 40 nights by the enemy, and he didn't give in to the temptation. So in that way, Jesus shows himself as the fulfillment of Israel. Like when Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by the devil for 40 days, he did what Israel couldn't do, which makes him the representative of Israel, the one who has the ability, because of his lack of sin, to take the cross, to die on the cross for our sins. So Moses says, I went up there again four days and four nights again, and I came on down. And then the Lord said, now I want you to go because you're going to enter the promised land. Now you realize that 
Moses in recounting this, we are reminded of the fact that this is 40 years later now. And they didn't just go into the promised land. And we've already seen some of that when we looked at chapter nine and some other chapters. What should have taken them a few weeks, a whole generation ended up dying in the wilderness because of their lack of trust in God. Now look at what it says. In verse 12, it says, and now Israel, what does the Lord require of you but to fear the Lord your God? to walk in all of his ways and to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and to keep his commandments or keep the commandments of the Lord and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. Now, these are five requirements, so to speak. Now, Israel, what does the Lord require of you? And these five requirements, to fear the Lord, to walk in his ways, that's number two, to love him is number three, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and five, to keep his commandments. Now, I'll be honest with you. You want something to bring into your prayer closet, your journal time? These five things, super important in your life, the fear of the Lord. Now, you all know in the book of Proverbs chapter nine in Psalm 111, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is what? The beginning of wisdom. So the fear of the Lord is literally, it's literally the entryway into wisdom. So we need to fear the Lord. And I've said it a million times. You probably all, you're like, I'm just like drilling it into us as a, as a church family. We should fear the Lord in two ways. One, we should fear God's authority because he is the judge of all the earth. Nobody else gets to be the judge of all the earth except the creator and sustainer of all the earth who knows right from wrong, right? So each one of you, whether you like this or not, you are gonna give an account for your life before God because your life is not your own. Everything about your life is not your own. Sure, you get to choose what, clothes you're going to put on and all these different things, but your life is on loan. You didn't create the air that you breathe, the food that you eat, the ability to breathe air or to digest food, even the gifts and talents that you have. Well, I worked on them. No, the ability to work on them, that was given as a gift as well. And the ability to have that gifting was also given by God. So everything you have is on loan. And we, the Bible calls it a stewardship. A stewardship is when somebody served for somebody else. You dealt with somebody else's stuff. In some ways, like today, something like a financial planner, somebody who invests your money for you. It's not their money. It's your money. But they do it for you. And then if they do a good job, you keep them. And if they do a bad job, you get rid of them, right? In the same way, your life, it's not your own life. It's God's life. And you are loaned it. And you have to give an account for what you do with this life. And we should fear God's accounting of our lives if it's a lousy accounting. And let's be honest, in a church our size, there's many of you, you're doing a lousy job stewarding God's life. Like you are straight up off the reservation. You're not honoring the Lord. The way that you're living is completely antithetical to the ways of God. And you should fear God's authority to be able to say, that's a terrible stewardship. It's not okay. But not only should we fear God's authority, we should also fear breaking God's heart. We should fear severing a relationship that was bought in Jesus' own blood. And I think it's a healthy way. I think in friendships and relationships and marriages, we should fear breaking people's heart. That's part of love. Part of love is I love you too much to want to hurt you. I'm not going to do what I might normally do because I actually don't want to hurt you. Because I love you. I fear breaking your heart. So we need to fear the Lord, and it is the beginning of wisdom. We need to walk in his ways. I love that. Every single day of your life, you are walking. Life is a journey. 
Are you walking in the ways of the Lord? Are you on that path of God? We should be. Not only that, it says to love him. Now, I think this is super cool because this is what God is really interested in. God is interested in a relationship that's based on love. It's not just rule keeping. I don't know how often someone, people say to me, they say, you know, Dave, I just don't get like, why Jesus? I mean, like, I mean, Christianity and this. I'm like, listen, there's a God and God wants a loving relationship with people. Like, it's not just about duty. It's not just about, this is what I'm supposed to do because I'm supposed to do it. And the employee handbook says, I got to do these things, so I'm going to do it. It's about a relationship of love. God loves us and he wants us to return love to him. And God cares about the love that we have for him. And God wants, by the power of the Holy Spirit, to cultivate his love in our lives. Do you realize that right now, as you're sitting here hearing these words, that God is desiring to enlarge your heart, to enlarge your ability to both receive his love and to be a vehicle for his love to enter into the world? Right now, God is seeking us to return the love that he has for us. We're so used to hearing about love in church that I don't think it really registers too much anymore. Are you allowing God to love you? And are you returning that love back to him? Are you making space in your life for that relationship? You know, like the idea of intimacy. You know, intimacy, the best definition is communication over time. It's where intimacy develops. You know, and we know that the people who we communicate with the most over time, the people who are the most intimate with, not in a physical way necessarily, but in a personal way, those are the people that we've cultivated and made space for those things to grow. And just as we need to make time and make an investment to cultivate an intimate relationship with another person, we need to do the same thing in our relationship with God. We need to make time. We need to communication, we call that prayer, time in the word, that we can allow the Lord by his spirit to really deepen a loving relationship. Now, I know you're saying, well, Sofusco, you're getting honest, but we're here at church right now. Like, come on. But in the same way, the deepest, most intimate relationships don't happen in public. They happen in private. Don't ever forget that. I tell pastors this all the time. I say, listen, if your worship, if your prayer if your Bible time is only for the public display of these things, that that's not an intimate relationship. Like you married couples, a whole lot of your life is lived in public with your kids, at the soccer field, at work. But what makes your marriage intimate is what happens in private behind closed doors. And don't ever miss that. God desires a relationship of love. His love is the initiator because we love him. Why? Because he first loved us. So we don't have to initiate the love. God has already initiated, but we respond to it. And we want, God wants a deep love that we get to have with him. His love and us returning it back to him. And of course, Jesus reminds us from Leviticus 19, and then we turn that love outward and we love our neighbors as ourselves. So we have this fear walking in his ways. We love him. And then, of course, we talked about serving him already and then keeping his commandments. We talked about obedience already. I believe that these verses, verses 12 and 13, if you want something that you're like, hey, I'm going to work on, I'm going to take this into my prayer closet. If, those, if you take those two verses and start to pray about them and say, Lord, will you unpack these in my world? 
in my life. I believe God will do something very, very special. Now, in verse 14, it says, Indeed, heaven and the highest heavens belong to the Lord your God, also the earth with all that is in it. The Lord delighted only in your fathers to love them, and he chose their descendants after them, you above all peoples, as it is this day. Therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome, who shows no partiality nor takes a bribe. He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. Therefore, love the stranger, for you are strangers in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him, and to him you shall hold fast and take oaths in his name. He is your praise, and he is your God, who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your fathers went down to Egypt with 70 persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven in multitude." Now, this is beautiful because we get now the essence of the law with those five requirements, and now we get kind of the allegiance to God, that God wants us to be devoted. And first we say, first it says here that all of the heavens and the highest heavens, they're all the Lord's, the earth and all that is within it. And that's powerful, that all of creation is the Lord's, that God is enthroned in the heavens and he has control over everything that he has ever created. And that's powerful. Right? And then he reminds them that God, the Lord delighted in their fathers. The Lord delighted in Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Right? And he chose to love them. And he chose them as their descendants because of God's love for them. God made a covenant. Now, you read the book of Genesis. And if you want to go back, you can watch our patriarch series when we took Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You realize that they weren't perfect people. God's choice was because... God decided he wanted to choose a people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob didn't have it all together, but God placed his love on them. And because of that, by extension, the descendants of them. And then you get that therefore in verse 16. When you see the word therefore in the Bible, what do you always say? What's it there for? You guys are good. We're training you guys good. You got this thing down. You see that word therefore, you always say, what's it there for? It's a concluding sentence. Because God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to love them, and because God chose them as their descendants, therefore, circumcise the foreskin of your heart and be stiff-necked no longer. Now, I don't know about you, that is a very awkward verse. I mean, there's some very vivid imagery there that oftentimes we're like, whoa, I didn't know that the Lord would be so like, whoa, kind of on the edge, you know? But he says, because God chose Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and because God chose you, therefore I want you to circumcise the foreskin of your heart. Now, of course, this comes from the circumcision rite that young Jewish boys received on their eighth day where they would cut off the foreskin of their genitals, right? And, And he's saying, I want you to do that in your heart. Now, this is why God placed this picture in the flesh of the men of the children of Israel because it's meant to be a picture. God isn't really that concerned about the excess layer of skin on male genitals. It's a picture to say, God wants to cut away what is not necessary, what is extra, what is superfluous in your heart. That's what God's design is. And God in his wisdom will use some kind of vivid, kind of gross kind of pictures to get at that stuff. See, God is saying, look, there is, there is some fat in your heart that you need to get rid of. 
There is things in there that don't need to be in there, that shouldn't be in there any longer. And he says, therefore, I want you to circumcise the foreskin of your hearts. And I believe that even right now, the work of the Spirit of God is to circumcise each one of our hearts, to cut away things that are unnecessary, that God deems to be unnecessary. And you know that God is circumcising your heart when you are stiff-necked no longer. The idea of being stiff-necked is being stubborn. Anybody here? Stubborn? Yeah, three of you and me. That's right. (laughs) But I know a thing or two about all of you. We're stubborn people. We're stiff-necked people. We do not want to do what God wants us to do. All of us are like Adam and Eve. Like God says, listen, you can eat any tree in this whole beautiful garden. It's all there for you. You're living in paradise, and it is better than Chuck's produce on a delivery day. You know, it's like, this is like Whole Foods times a million, and it's all free for you, but don't eat that tree. And we're like, I just really want that tree, right? I mean, before God gave the prohibition on eating that one, like people all the time would say, well, why would God say you can't eat one? I'm like, look, it was paradise. There was more fruit than they knew what to do with. You could have canned that stuff. You could have baked it into pies. You could have lived on that stuff. So it's not like there was like no trees there. It was like, it was a beautiful garden paradise. He said, out of all these trees, just that one tree. And they started eyeing that tree up. Man, that tree's so, that, that fruit on that tree's so good. I mean, I, I wonder why God wouldn't let us eat that. And then the serpent comes around like, yeah, God doesn't really like you that much. And don't we do the same stuff? Like where it's like, we're stubborn people. But when God begins to do the heart surgery he wants to do on each one of us, we begin to now be compliant to God's will. We begin to say, Lord, you know I really don't want to do that, but okay. And know what happens when you're willing to be obedient and ask God to bring your heart around? You start to experience why God asks us to do those things. See, it's like when you simply are obedient and you're allowing God to cut away these things, you start to realize, you know, God's ways are actually higher than my ways. God's plans are greater than my plans. See, we are self-limiting in our understanding because we walk by sight, but God sees something more. And we don't realize the implication of all these things, but when we honor the Lord, because he is the Alpha and the Omega, he knows what all these things actually mean. So you will know that God is getting at what he wants to in your heart when you are stiff-necked no longer, when you stop being stubborn. So even though right now I would feel very honest to tell you that I am a stubborn, stiff-necked person, God wants to change that in me. And I believe God wants to do the same in each one of us. Let the Lord do the work he wants to do in your heart. Really, I would love to, I mean, verse 17 and following is just, it speaks of God's majesty and his sovereignty. I mean, look what this says. For the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords, the great God, mighty and awesome. God is the man, so to speak. Or, you know, he's the one. You know, it's like God is the name above every, he is the God above any conception of God. The Lord above every conception, he is the great and awesome one. That's powerful. And not only that, but God in his perfection, he shows no partiality. He doesn't take a bribe. He administers justice. See, in part of God's perfection is the right ordering of things. And out of this, he administers to justice to the widow and the fatherless. He loves the stranger and he gives them food. Now listen, the widow and the fatherless and the stranger were the three most vulnerable categories of people in the time of the children of Israel. 
Widows were vulnerable because women didn't work outside of the home, so they had no means to provide for themselves. The fatherless had no one to advocate for them, so they were unable to be provided for. And when a stranger, a foreigner from another land came into an area, they were vulnerable because they didn't know the language and they didn't know the people, they didn't know the customs, and they were vulnerable. And God administers justice to the most vulnerable in our communities. Now listen, I know this is a politicized issue, but we need to learn our immigration policy from the Bible and not from Fox News or CNN. We got to learn it from the Bible. You know why? Because it's the Bible. It's God's word. And the problem with politics is it's not looking at God's word. It's just politics. Now, I realize I'm going to get all sorts of emails. from Actually, Margaret's going to get emails. So you pray for her. But listen, Get your immigration policy from the Bible because God is the God of gods and he is the Lord of lords. He is the great and mighty one and he doesn't show any partiality. And when he says things like he is going to advocate for the people on the margins, he means it. He administers justice. He gives food and clothing. Notice in verse 19, in case you missed it, therefore love the stranger. Why? For you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Guess what? Unless you're here and you're Native American, your ancestors were immigrants here too one time. And somebody helped them. Now, I'm not saying we should bury our head in the sands and we shouldn't vet people in these things, but we have to remember all of us were immigrants in America at one point. And this whole thing about what's going on, it's crazy to me. It's not crazy because it's politics as usual. We win elections by dividing people, but God loves the strangers. God loves when the people of God serve the most vulnerable. And that's one of the things I love about the Crossroads family. We've been doing this refugee project for like 18 months now. It's awesome, the things that we get to be involved in. We love trying to help out widows and the fathers. It's pure and undefiled religion. But if we let ourselves and our beliefs be shaped by divisive media, we're going to completely miss God's heart for what is going on. God sent the nations right here. Not only so we can tell them about Jesus, but we can meet them in their places of pain in the name of Jesus. That's why they're here. I love this. Therefore, love the stranger. Love the immigrant. Help them. Treat them as you would want to be treated if you had to flee for your life from your country. That's what the Bible says. Notice, verse 20, you shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him. And to him you shall hold fast. He is your praise, verse 21. He is your God who has done for you these great and awesome things which your eyes have seen. Your father went down to Egypt with 70 persons. And now the Lord your God has made you as the stars of heaven and multitude. He's saying, listen, your journey is just like everyone else's. God is doing a work. Because God is doing a work, let him use your life to be a work for others. You just heard Pastor Daniel teach about how many valuable things that the Bible touches on. God wants you to love the marginalized, to care for the foreigners, to serve him in these ways. You may not even realize that you're serving God, but when you look out for someone in need, you're serving God. Be encouraged today in realizing there are plenty of opportunities to do these things well within your reach. So get going. 
Pastor Daniel's message today is just one of many he shared from a variety of books in the Bible. Would you like to explore more? Just visit JesusIsRealRadio.com to access our library of audio. You can also connect with Pastor Daniel on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram through the links you'll find at the bottom of the page, JesusIsRealRadio.com. Hey, this is Josh, and I wanted to personally thank you for listening today to Jesus Is Real Radio. Did you know that Pastor Daniel also has a TV program? It's called Real with Daniel Fusco. I want to encourage you to go to JesusIsRealRadio.com, click on the Stations option in the main menu, and find out if Real with Daniel Fusco airs on a TV station in your area. Thanks for joining us. Next time, Pastor Daniel will talk about God's guardrails. Do you embrace correction and criticism, or do you tend to bristle at it? Looking ahead, you'll hear about God having standards and not backing down from them. God has expectations or limitations because He knows what's best for you. He expects your life to reflect Him if you're going to claim to follow Him. It's like when a parent lays out boundaries. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for another edition of Jesus Is Real Radio.